May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If I asked you to share your favorite verse in the Bible or a book of the Bible that holds the most meaning for you, what might it be? Is there a particular part of the Bible that you find especially challenging or a recurring theme that encourages and inspires you? Or something when you hear it, your reaction is to push back or argue against it? Over the years, at different times in my life, I would certainly have had different answers to these questions. During times of grief and struggle, I have searched out words of comfort and of God's never-failing presence. When I have felt particularly thankful, I have joyfully joined in the words of praise and thanksgiving that have been sung by God's people throughout the ages. In recent time, I have been paying closer attention to the stories of Jesus' disciples, how they respond when Jesus calls them to follow, the ways they struggle and misunderstand what Jesus shows them and teaches them, their joys when they take part in the miracles of feeding and healing, and their fear and their confusion when their journey with Jesus does not lead where they expect. For me, seeing the ways that Jesus' disciples falter and stumble are as meaningful as witnessing the moments they act with sure and certain faithfulness, since there are plenty of times when I feel like my earnest attempts to live out my faith fail miserably, and I am discouraged when they don't turn out the way I've imagined. We hear one of these stories this morning from John as the disciples gather together after Jesus is crucified. After the wonderful festive Easter joy that filled our worship last week, it's a bit jarring to see the disciples, the ones in the best position to anticipate and understand Jesus' resurrection. Well, they are not celebrating, but are instead hiding fearfully, probably very quietly, behind a locked door. There is not much indication here that anything Jesus has told his closest followers about his death and resurrection has been believed. It isn't until Jesus himself appears through the locked door, wounds and all, and speaks to them and shows them the marks of his crucifixion and breathes the Holy Spirit on them that the disciples finally believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. And even after all of this, instead of going out and proclaiming this joyful truth far and wide, it sounds like the only person the disciples tell this good news to is Thomas, the disciple who isn't in the room when Jesus appears. You would think that this would be a pretty safe attempt at post-resurrection evangelism. Tell this miraculous truth to someone who is already a disciple of Jesus someone who shouldn't need much convincing, someone who should be ready to believe the incredible news that they have to share. Instead, when they, the disciples tell Thomas they have seen the Lord, his response is to tell them that unless he experiences something that is impossible for them to arrange, 
Thomas seeing and touching the wounds of Jesus himself. Well, unless this happens, he will not believe. Not exactly an encouraging reaction. It's not surprising that this response doesn't embolden the disciples, but instead, a week later, we see them all back in the same room with the door closed, Thomas among them this time. Because of how this story is told, Thomas is generally singled out as the one doubter of the group, but his reaction to Jesus' death and resurrection is really no different from that of the other disciples. Their belief in the truth of the risen Christ is also connected to each one of them seeing for themselves. This week, as I read through Thomas articulating the very specific requirements he has that must be met before he can be expected to believe, instead of simple doubt, I heard disappointment and cynicism underlying Thomas's demands. Thomas, who leaves the familiar life he has known to follow Jesus, who has put effort and energy into his work as a disciple, who probably imagines how he will benefit from being an apostle of Jesus, and who most likely has his own understanding of how the Messiah will improve the lives of all people and change the power structures of his world. Instead, he sees the person he has trusted be killed finds himself with less safety and security than when he started on the journey with the same earthly powers controlling the people. Despite all that Thomas has risked, all the hope he has put into trusting Jesus, it seems like wasted effort, complete and total failure. And Thomas is not about to get his hopes up again unless he has been given a definitive, convincing reason to do so. It's not very difficult to identify with the disappointment and doubt of Thomas and the other disciples. When we as individuals or a community of faith make an effort, as it says in our collect this morning, to show forth in our lives what we profess by our faith, we can often be discouraged by the results that we see. When we reach out in love to care for someone who is hurting, feed someone who is hungry, welcome someone who is alone, or provide shelter for someone who is vulnerable, it is difficult to keep from deciding what a successful result of our actions looks like, and difficult to keep from despairing when we don't see the change we expect. We might be tempted to say, like Thomas, we are not going to make this effort again, to open ourselves up to hope again, unless we can see very specific, tangible evidence of the presence of Jesus. This is when it is important to remember the words that Jesus says to his disciples after he has shown them his wounded and risen body. Although the disciples have the opportunity to physically see and hear the risen Jesus, Jesus pronounced as blessed those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. It is unlikely that we will have the opportunity to see Jesus' resurrected body stand in front of us. 
We may not encounter evidence of the risen Christ alive in the world in the specific ways we expect. And we can be disappointed when the kind of transformation of lives and circumstances that we witness doesn't agree with what we have determined is success. But that does not mean that belief is unavailable to us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. During this Easter tide, we are being invited to pay attention to where we are blinded to Christ's presence in the world. We are being challenged to recognize in people and places and circumstances how what has been cast down is being raised up and what has grown old is being made new. Especially if we have become discouraged or doubtful that this new life is happening. We are being called into this new life for ourselves by the resurrected Jesus. The same Jesus who appeared to his frightened, disappointed, doubtful disciples, who showed them his wounds, spoke to them of peace, breathed the power of the Holy Spirit into them, and sent them out to share this good news of new life for all. And we can see in the disciples' lives examples of the holy transformation that is possible as the disciples go from fearfully hiding from the authorities to preaching and teaching powerfully and faithfully about Jesus to all people, not letting the threats of those same powerful authorities keep them from showing forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. May we, like the disciples, work through our own fears and doubts and disappointments to live into the new life promised to us by our Lord and our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Thanks be to God. Amen.